Hey, as we get to jumping into the word today, I do want to remind you, this is Thanksgiving week. Let's go. Hey, here, here, here's what I want to do real quick. On the count of three, I want you to shout out the thing you're the most thankful for. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, thank you. You guys online couldn't hear, but every one of them shouted for their pastor, Adam McCain. Wow, that was unbelievable. Uh, no, but we are in the Thanksgiving holidays, and um, I've just been contemplating as I have watched the news, engaged in my socials, and I am embarrassed that the most affluent nation probably in the history of the world has lost its ungratefulness. We're talking more about Black Friday and Christmas lights than we're talking about how good God has been to us. I get a little embarrassed about it. And so if you have your Christmas lights up right now, I'm a little mad at you. Just saying. And if you're more concerned about your Black Friday deals, I'm a little concerned about you. Because, uh, because it takes a holiday, I think, many times to remind us how good God has been to us and how blessed we really are. And so... As we dive into the word today, I just want to bring us back to a place of gratefulness. I've titled the message today, uh, Grateful Faith. Everybody say, Grateful Faith. Let's go to our first passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. This is going to be our key passage for today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Ready? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'll read it to you again. Give thanks in all circumstances. Good times, bad times. He is good. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. God's will. What's God's will for your life? I think I'm called to be an engineer. You know, I just feel like I'm called to have a big, big family. Well, let me tell you, I know for a fact what's part of God's will for you. And that is that you would be grateful and thankful in all circumstances, whether good or bad or fun or not fun, he is good, life is good, our God has secured our heavenly, come on, our heavenly uh, position with him, and when we pass, we'll go from this life into another life and be secure in his loving arms, we have a lot to be grateful for, are you with me today, say yes, and I would say to you that gratefulness really is a key ingredient in your faith. There's multiple ingredients in your faith, but gratefulness is a key ingredient. And just kind of the point, you know, would it be in Thanksgiving? I know um, that there are certain meals that we all do for our Thanksgiving time as a family. And I think one of the most consistent would be uh, pumpkin pie. How many of you guys love pumpkin pie? All right. I don't, but, uh, but you do, so that's good. Um, but pumpkin pie, I don't know what's in pumpkin pie. I have no idea. I'm, I'm assuming pumpkin. I'm assuming that's the main ingredient. But it obviously has multiple in good ingredients so that you'll eat it. But what I do know about pumpkin pie is that one of the best ingredients is when you put some whipped cream all on the top of it. And I know that that kind of, I mean, whatever was about it before, this one particular ingredient mm, is a good ingredient. I don't know all the ingredients because I, years ago, I determined a principle in my life. If I get good at something, I'll then be responsible for something. So I decided never to learn how to cook. I'm completely inept. I cannot feed myself. No, I, I can go through McDonald's. But what I love about this pie 
is that whatever the ingredients are, and there's a lot of them, I'm assuming, or a few key ingredients, the fact that you put whipped cream on top of it just kind of just brings it all about. In your faith, there are multiple ingredients to faith. There's uh, faith without works is dead. So part of your faith is good deeds. Uh, part of your faith is trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your... That's one of the ingredients of true faith. But an ingredient that we don't talk about a lot, which I really believe is the topping of faith that many women of faith, that we are grateful. Everybody say grateful. We are thankful. It is almost like the icing on the cake. It's like the whipped cream on the pie. It is that peace that you know that that person loves God because they are so grateful in good times and bad times. They say, oh, he's good. Do you remember the old, the old mamas, in, mamas in the faith? And they would just, oh, praise him now. I'm just going to give a praise. And you're like, what are you praising for? Your life sucks. Oh, he is good. Hallelujah. Oh. Because they understood something. They understood that a portion or one of the key ingredients in their faith is gratefulness. As we dive into this today, I want to take you through a passage where we see this illustrated so strong. I'm talking about so strong. Jesus has this engagement with these ten lepers. And I want to take you there in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 12. And again, for you guys that come here and you're dyslexic, that would be, uh, that would be uh, 71E cool. Okay? Luke 17... We'll start in verse 12 or 21. And um, it says, as he was going into a village, talking about Jesus, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And I want to break this down for just a moment. Uh, because in our lifetime, we don't really live with leprosy. It is, for the most part, been eradicated. But in biblical times especially, leprosy would have been, would have been the sickness, the disease of death. It would have been the most horrifying. It would be like an Ebola for us in ancient times. Leprosy, for those of you that don't know much about the disease, it is a rotting of the flesh. And it typically starts on the extremities. Noses, fingertips, toes, extremities. And it was, in ancient time, it was no respecter of persons. Rich, poor, wealthy, important, non-important. People who contracted leprosy in ancient times, literally had to be removed from society. They were not allowed to be involved in society. They were taken from their families. They were taken out of their cities, out of their communities, out of their job force. They had to be removed. They, they, they believed it to be extremely um, you know, dangerous uh, for anyone that got around someone with leprosy. It was a death sentence. The moment you had leprosy, the moment that your skin started rotting, the moment they could see it, they would literally have to take you out of it because they knew you, were, had, you had a short time to live. And it was a miserable, miserable process of death. It would just linger on and you had your capacities, you still could think, you should, could talk, but it just, the rotting of your flesh. It was embarrassing, humiliating, and most importantly, it was a destruction disease that was going to kill you. And so in biblical times, in ancient times, what they would do is they would take these people and they would extract them. They put them out of the community. And many times they would have these leper colonies, people who lived together, <clears throat> everyone with leprosy, and they would live out in the outskirts of town. They would, family members would come and maybe drop off some food. Um, but over time, they would be forgotten. In fact, if they came into contact with anyone that didn't have leprosy, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean. And literally, as you were walking between cities, and you were on your path with your donkey, or you're walking, or whatever you, however you got transported in those days, if you came across some people with leprosy, they would stand at a distance and yell, unclean, don't get close to me. 
Don't get close to me. Jesus is in transport here, and as he's going from one place to another, a group of ten lepers at a distance recognize it's Jesus. How did they know it was Jesus? They'd never met him. They'd never been in a public meeting with him. They had never sat at his home because he didn't have a home, but they never sat down with him, had coffee. They had heard about this Jesus. They are extracted from their families. There are probably people in this group of ten that have had children that they don't get to love on, get to see anymore. Their families may even be in financial difficulty because they had to be removed. There's no income source for that family now. And these ten men, at a distance, recognize that Jesus is walking through, and they begin to yell out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Everybody say faith. They somehow believe this man can change their life. Somehow, without even being in one of his evangelism crusades, without ever having a face-to-face with him, they have heard about the great works that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, and they believe if they can just get close to him, if he'll just say the word, they'll get healed. And keep reading with me in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. So this was an act. If by some chance, it was in Levitical law, if by some chance the leprosy had left your body by some chance, or God had healed you. The only way you could be brought back into society was for a priest to do a, to do a look over of you, and they would test you and see, and if they deemed you healed somehow, then you were able to go back to your family. So Jesus' response is not, it's not lift your hands and I pray for you. His response is, Jesus, have mercy. Take pity on us. Go show yourself to the priest. I don't know about you, but I would have been like, well, can you pray for me first? Like, I got nothing to show him but rotted flesh. Pay, Pay attention. It says, and as they went, they were, say the word, cleansed. As they went, they got healed. Can you imagine that? As they went, they got healed. He didn't lay hands on them. He didn't say a precious prayer over them. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15. One. Everybody say one. Say it again. Say one. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I want you to know something. There's a little sidebar. If you don't like a loud church where a bunch of people are shouting and thanking Jesus, this ain't the church for you. He has healed me. He has delivered me. He has set us free. And I'm going to be like this guy every day. Anytime I can be with him. If you want a little quiet church, go find that somewhere else. I am grateful for what he's done in my life. Are you with me? Say yes. And he says, and one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, verse 16, and he threw himself. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and did what? What did he do? Thanked him. Threw himself. You know, I just, you know, I just can't be emotional. You know, I, I just, you know, I'm, I, I'm very calm. Um, and yes, God's been good to me. Yeah. You obviously have not been set free to the place where your whole life has been changed. Because let me tell you like this. If you've been hit by a Mack truck, you're going to be different than before you got hit by a Mack truck. And, I'm, you know, people talk about, oh, Jesus just love. He's just love. He's just, yeah, his love is transformative. The true love of Christ is transforming. You will not look the same 
when you encounter Jesus Christ in a true way. And this man comes running back, throws himself at his feet. He is praising. He is looking a fool. Like, dude, are you lost your mind? Yeah. Yeah. You better be, believe it because I was dead and separated from my family and separated from society. And with one word, he changed everything about me. And he praises him and he thanks him. And the Bible makes this little subpoint right here in verse 16. And he was a Samaritan. Now let me break you down why that means so much and why it's Luke includes it in this passage. Because Jesus, when he comes to earth, he could have come, think about it, he could have come in the 1500s. He could have come in, you know, 8,000 8, you know, 8, B.C. He could have come, he come at any juncture in history, but he comes at this moment in history. It is one of the most racist moments in human history. Let's start with the Jews. The Jews, over the years, have been conquered by different people. But in the Jewish culture, because they belong to Jehovah God... They have a strong culture that we don't intermingle, we don't intermarry with the pagans who do not know God, who do not have a covenant with God through our Abrahamic covenant. But there was a group of them that did. They married outside of the Jewish community. And they married pagans, if you will. And those were called Samaritans in this particular region. These Samaritans. So the full-blooded Jews hated the Samaritans. As a result, the Samaritans hated them. And they argued about which of their family lineage was more pure and who knew God better. You take that and you bring that into the Romans who conquered everybody, who had, who had taken over from the Greeks who had originally conquered everybody. And you've got all these different people groups who hate each other. And Jesus says, watch this. The king of glory is going to step himself right out into the middle of your racial prejudice. And I'm going to bring unity to the world through one act of love dying on the cross. And so when Luke points out that he was a Samaritan, it's a critical piece because Jesus is Jew, full-blooded Jew. His ministry is to the Jews. The first, I've got to bring the children of Abraham home, and then we'll open the doors to everybody else. And so his disciples are all Jews. And so when these ten get healed, one of them is a Samaritan. And it's insinuating that the rest of them are Jews. So nine others are Jews. And so it says, but one, a Samaritan, verse 17, Jesus asked, was not all ten cleansed? Did all of y'all get healed? He's asking not necessarily the former leper. He's asking everyone standing around who would have taken issue that a Samaritan is worshiping at his feet. This black dude can't worship at a white church. These white people can't come to a black church. Hmm. There's issue even in his own disciples. <laughs> he says, Hey, all those full blooded Jews, where are they at? Only one would come back, the Samaritan would come back and worship the Lord and give to back to him what he deserves. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise? Everybody say, Give praise. Was no one found to come back and give back to God what he deserves after what he's done for them? Except this one Samaritan dude, this foreigner, if you will. Verse 19, then he said to him, and I want you to pay attention to this, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I thought he was already healed. What's this talking about? Well, we'll dive to, into it in just a second. I want to point out here today, even from this passage... I want to point out some dynamics, if you will, some dynamics of what I'm calling grateful 
faith. This man had grateful faith. He had the icing on top. He had the whipped cream on top of these ingredients of faith. Yeah, there's deeds and there's these other dynamics or ingredients of faith. But let me tell you something. This man had grateful faith. And I don't know about you, but I want to live a life of grateful faith. I want people to say that man loves Jesus. I can tell because he's so grateful for every... Pe- I'm grateful for every one of you that come to this church. You, God sent you here. You are an answer to Jamie and I's prayers that we get to... Pat- I am great. I don't care if you're all messed up and you're all nasty and broken and beat down. I am grateful for you. God has put our lives together. I want to live a life of grateful faith. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on. Are you with me? Say yes. So let's learn some of the dynamics of grateful faith. Number one, the first dynamic of grateful faith is it recognizes that only Jesus can help you. Jesus, son of God, take pity on me. You and you alone, the only one who can fix my situation. You and you alone. This is a key ingredient to having grateful faith. It's a dynamic of it. It's when you recognize, I can't fix it. I can't, I can't get a new job. I'm stuck where I'm at. I need Jesus. I can't raise these kids. I have no idea what I'm doing. The pattern that I saw growing up, if I reproduce that same pattern in my kids, I'm going to have the same brokenness that we had. I need help. It's a grateful faith. It's a, it's a faith that says, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I'll never forget when I got down on my knees as a young man and realized, I need you, Jesus. You are the only one who can fix my life. You're the only one can fix the destruction that I create. Some of you have been uh, uh, misappropriated your marriages over the years. You need Jesus. You need him to fix it. He's the only one. These men are dying of leprosy. They are on a short list of life. It's coming to an end. They've been extracted from their community. They don't get to hug their babies anymore. They don't get to sleep next to their wife in bed anymore. They have been extracted from it. They are, no one cares about them. In fact, probably as they, they tell the stories about leprosy colonies, that the families would initially, as dad was brought to a leper colony, they would go out and they would send food to him. But after a while, they, they had to go on with their life because they couldn't take care of dad and take care of themselves many times. And so literally, the families would go on with their life, and this person would live a life of death and destruction and separation. Jesus didn't just give them back health in their physical body. He gave them back to their families. In a moment, they recognized, I need you, Jesus. It's one of the critical dynamics of grateful faith. I'd like to give you a challenge this week. I'd like to challenge you that ask yourself, what am I in need of Jesus' help for right now? And I know it sounds simple, but begin to ask. Jesus, I need your help. I don't know how to be a good dad. I don't know how to provide for my family. I don't know how to do this. I need you. I can't overcome this sin habit. I can't stop this addiction. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Here's a second dynamic of grateful faith, and that is it obeys Jesus. Go show yourself. Go show yourself to the priest. You know, you and I would have been, we'd been like, well, hold on, hold on. Um, could you pray for me first? They didn't, they didn't even hesitate. They obeyed him. They took him at his word. You know, the Bible says this. Jesus says it like this. You are my disciples. Not if you say a prayer at a church. You're my disciples if you obey my teachings. You're mine if you obey my teachings. 
This is what grateful faith looks like. Is that I'm so grateful that you've saved me, that you've changed me, that you've healed me, that you've done a work in my life. Whatever your word says, I'm going to do it. This is my problem with American Christianity. I'll do it if I like it. If I don't like it, I ain't doing it. Forgive my brother? I don't want to forgive them. Do you know what they've done to me? Like Jesus doesn't know what they've done to you. Well, maybe he didn't mean that for me. That was for 2,000 years ago, not really for me. Go to your brother if he sins against you, Matthew 18, and confront them on it in love. Point out to them that they've hurt you. Not the American church. We'd rather just post about it. You know that time you go to church, and they say they love you? Ha! <laughs> that's a lie. That's disobedience, because that's not what he told us. He told us to go to each other. You know what else he told us to do? He told us to cry out to him in our times of need. Obey. And that's one of the key components. I've told you this story a billion times, but it's mine, so I'm going to tell it a billion and one. Because there's new people in our church. Years ago, you guys can compare it that's been around me. You can say it if I tell it as good as I did the last time. Years ago, I was preaching. I traveled full-time, and I preached all over the world. And I was doing this uh, weekend conference. I've been ministering, prayed for a lot of people, a lot of healings, a lot of miracles. And we, uh, my, my, my booking coordinator at that time booked me on one of these airlines where you don't get to get your, you, you, you don't get your seat till you walk on the plane and then you all rush to try to grab a good seat. Y'all know those airlines? I hate those things. Like, I want to know where I'm supposed to sit before I ever get there. And so we're at that, well, that airline. I got a spiritual son, Shondell, traveling with me. And, and so, uh, so we get in line and uh, we get running onto the plane and we get a seat that's a three-row seat. And I put him on the end, and I put me up against the window. And I said, let's put our stuff in the middle so nobody messes, nobody sits next to us. I said, that way, that way, you know, because I've been ministering to people all weekend long. I said, Shondell, I'm not praying for nobody else, not ministering to nobody else. It's not happening. I'm exhausted. So I get up against the window, and if you've ever tried to sleep on an airplane against the window, and I'm, and I'm, I'm on that spot, and, uh, and Shondell's got, I got you, Patrick. So he's on the end. We got our stuff in the middle. And I'm in that space. You know that moment? where you're asleep but not asleep it's this glorious space right it's like life slows down and i'm in this space i'm starting to dream but yet i'm cognizant that people are still getting on the plane and all of a sudden i hear the little steward excuse me guys hey we're gonna need this seat because we've got a packed flight and i know that if i open my eyes completely i'll be awake and i won't be able to go back to sleep and if I say anything, it's over. There it goes. You know what I'm talking about? And so you're almost, so, so, I, so I crack one eye, and I see this kid. He's about 16 years old. He's got his hat all sideways like this. He's got, uh, he's got a Orlando Magic jersey on. He's got his little headset. You know, he's got like, 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 he's, a, like he's a DJ. He's got his, you know, his, head, his ear, earpieces turned out. And, man, his music is blank and blank and blank, blank and blank and blank and beep, 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 blank and blank, beep. And I'm like, dear God, Shondell, you better be ready because I'm not praying for this kid one bit. <laughs> and so I, I never even move. I just, like, I'm asleep. And so he sits down, they, Shondell and them move the stuff around, and I'm just frozen like I'm asleep. And I'm almost asleep, so that's why I'm asleep, but I'm not asleep. But I am asleep. And they get to talk, and I hear Shondell say, man, what's going on, man? How, what you up to? And he goes, oh, nothing. He goes, uh, he says, where are you coming from? He goes, Carolina. He's like, oh, what you doing in Carolina? He goes, nah. And this kid started, this 16-year-old talking about, you know, he's visiting family and all the girls that he's, um, yes. And, uh, 
And he goes, really? Oh, okay. He goes, where are you from? He's like, H-Town. He's, this kid's from Houston. And, uh, and so he's getting all hyped about Houston and stuff. And he goes, oh, okay. You in high school? Yeah, man, I'm in high school. My senior year. You play sports. I played football, but I blew out a knee. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do anything. I want to go to college. What else you involved? Ah, and he starts about all the girls that he's, yeah. I mean, this kid obviously is addicted. And so, and so, and so I'm, and I'm almost asleep, and I'm like, get him, Shondale, get him, Shondale. You better pray for this boy. And then all of a sudden, I hear Shondale go, you know, bro, you know what you need? And he's like, what? He goes, you need Jesus. And this kid goes, oh, no, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what happened. I am so sorry. If I ever meet, meet this kid, I'll repent. But something took over your pastor. Next thing I know, I go, what did you say? And this kid's like, ah, where'd this guy come from? Where'd this old fat white guy come from? And I was like, what did you say? He said, what do you mean? I said, what did you just tell him? He said, I said, I'm a Christian. I said, no, you're not. He goes, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. He goes, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And guys, I'm telling you, this went on for a good 10 seconds, which feels like forever on an airplane. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> just from within me. I went, oh, dude, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Orlando Magic. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. I see you. As, you play professional basketball. You play for Orlando Magic. He's like, what? I was like, Shh, I get it. I get it. All right. You're trying to be incognito. All right. All right. I'm tracking with you. All right. I'm like, well, you're like 13th man. I like Orlando. I've never seen you. Are you like, do you, do you, or do you get to start? I don't think you start. I'm like, you don't look very tall enough to start. Let me ask you. He's like, dude, I don't play for Orlando. I'm like, Shh, I get it. I get it. You don't want to have to sign autographs. All right. Man, I watch the games all the time. Do you, let me ask you something. Do you have to practice every week? Like, if you're a professional, why would you have to practice? I never did understand that. And he's like, dude, I don't practice with Orlando. I don't play for Orlando. I'm like, Shh, I get you trying to, all right, all right, bro. I said, man, I said, bro, how much do they pay you? Because you don't look like, like, I've never seen you, so you probably don't make as much as the stars. And they're like, well, how much do you get paid? He goes, bro, I don't get paid. I don't play for Orlando Magic. What? And he's looking at Shondell like, is this guy on crack? Who is this guy? What's wrong with this dude? And, and he's like, man, what, what do you mean? I was like, bro, come on, bro. You I know you play for Orlando Magic. You're just trying to be incognito. He goes, I don't play for Orlando Magic. Why do you keep saying that? I said, because you got the jersey on. He goes, no, 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 I just bought this. I don't play for them. I said, exactly. And you did the same thing with your Christianity. All you did was buy the jersey. You're not on our team. You don't obey our coach. I said, son, you're not with us. And at the end of the day, you need to understand something. You don't get a paycheck. You're not getting a paycheck. The Spirit of the Lord hits this kid because for the first time, somebody's telling the truth. And he goes, he looks at him, he goes, bro, will you pray with me right now? I want to get right with God. I'm like, ah, Sean, dude, I'm going to I was like, all right, bro, grab my hand, which is already really awkward to grab a man's hand in the middle seat on an airplane. Not to mention, we got two hours, so I don't know what else we're going to talk about. I'm going to have to take him through the whole Bible now. So he grabs my hand. I was like, all right, bro, listen, listen. Come on, let's pray. I want you to really mean this prayer this time, okay? Because whatever you did before, you never really came came to an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes, yes, sir, yes, sir. I said, all right, say this prayer. We'll say, Jesus. Jesus! I, I had to pray for everybody, bro. Come on now. What's wrong with you? That dude prayed the most impactful, sincere prayer. Tears coming down the street. For the first time, he came into true following of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. 
And grateful faith, sa faith says, okay, I will. But there's another dynamic of grateful faith. We see this. Here's the third one. Write this down. And that is grateful faith. True grateful faith drives you to give back. If you've got grateful faith at work in your life, it drives you to give back. I never could understand stingy Christians. I don't know if they're true Christians. I don't know if they have true faith. You say, well, Pastor, that's kind of rough. No, no, no. Because our God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves you and me so much that he gave the greatest gift of heaven to us. His only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It makes no sense to be born of God, born again, to have a new life in Christ and be stingy. It makes no sense to me. And it made no sense to Jesus. Because the man comes running back, falls on his knees, and he's thanking him and giving praise, giving back, giving back. I give you the honor you deserve. I give you the honor, God. And Jesus says, is nobody else going to give back with this guy? He's not even full-blooded Jew. The people you hate, the people I came for, hmm, did not all the other nine, the other nine had a, portion of their grateful faith but they stopped when it came to giving back i get it i get it I, I they were so excited to get to go see mama i hadn't seen mama in five years i'm gonna hold my baby boy for the first time because my wife was pregnant when i was when i contracted this disease oh my goodness i gotta go get a job i gotta get help provide for my family i'm gonna talk to my old boss I get it. I understand where their brain was at. But can I tell you something? Somewhere in their faith of obeying and somewhere in their faith of calling out to him, they lost the next dynamic of grateful faith. And that is, I will give back because I owe a debt that I cannot pay. He is worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my glory. He's worthy of my time, my affection, my money. He deserves it all. And this man begins to worship and begins to praise. And Jesus says, look at this, look at this. I want to give you a challenge on this point, and that is, I'd like to challenge you to look into giving back this year. Look for little micro-giving moments this week. Little something you can bless somebody at work. Say, man, can I just, I just want you to know I believe in you. Pastor, I don't believe in them. I know. Go ahead and speak life. It'll help you. I want you to look for some micro-giving moments. I want, you to start, I want you to start developing your faith in this grateful area. Just start a little, a little bit of time. I want you to plan, you and your family plan. Let's give a big gift by the end of Christmas. Let's give something big. Let's take from where that place of safety for us out of our savings. And let's do something. Let's, let's give to, to an unwed mother's homes. Get your kids around and say, come on, let's give something back. Because we, our house, everything Jesus has blessed us with. Grateful faith. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, do you still love me? Say yes. Years ago, I had a, yes, years ago I had, uh, I had a couple guys, we're living in one of our rental properties, a couple of young guys from the church, and one of them had, um, had this old beat up Honda Accord that finally, in his mind, gave up the ghost, and he went and got him a new car, he got a good enough job where he could get a little $300 a month car payment, and he left this Honda Accord sitting out in front of my house, my rental property. And uh, every week I'd go by and say, hey, you need to get that car moved. It went on for about six months. And finally I was like, hey, man, I'm going to buy that car from you. Sell it to me for, for this much. He said, all right, Pastor, I mean, I'll sell it to you for that much. 
And I, and I took it home. My wife was like, why did you buy that car? I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I should. It was a Honda Accord, like a 1965. No, I don't know. It was like a 1999 Honda Accord. It's been just a couple years ago. It was at least 20 years old. And she's like, why did you buy that? I was like, babe, it's a Honda Accord. That and roaches will survive World War III. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, come on, baby. And so and it was all beat up and needed some work. And every day I'd get off work and I'd go out there and, 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 and fix this car up. I'm not a great mechanic, but I can do some things. And she's like, what are you doing? I, I, put, a, I put a motor, uh, uh, not, not in the car, I put a, you know, the, the electric window motor had gone out and I ripped it open and put a new motor in it, put a you know, thermostat in it and all kind of stuff. I'm just fixing it up. I don't need the car. I won't drive the car. It's bad. It's ugly. I mean, it's a couple, two-tone and not on purpose, you know, it's from, from where it was hit on this side and so forth, and, and so, but it's a car, it's a Honda Accord, it's going to run forever, and, uh, and so I get it fixed up, and I spend, I probably got, a, you know, plus the 500 plus another, you know, seven, eight hundred dollars until I got about thirteen hundred dollars into it, and it's just sitting in the driveway, and my wife starts going, why are you got a Honda Accord in my driveway? You need to get rid of this car. I'm like, no, baby, this is the Lord. It's our backup car. And uh, some of you guys know I, I also work at a Bible school, Christ for the Nation. So I'm in my office, and one of the staff comes in and says, Pastor, can I talk to you, an international staff member, you know? And, and they were like, um, hey, Pastor, would you just pray for me? Um, in my country, I have public transportation. Now that I live in the United States, he's working on his master's degree at the time, I think. And he's like, you know, I, I can't get anywhere. And as a grown man, I can't even date anybody. Like, hey, babe, jump on the bike. Let's go out for dinner. <laughs> he's like, and I just, man, he, and he was so pure. He's like, I don't even feel like a man sometimes because I live in your country now and I don't have a car. And I was like, bro. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing right now? He goes, whatever, you're the boss. And I'm like, jump in my car. Let's go somewhere. He's like, okay. So I take him to the house. And I said, wait right here in the car. Park right behind the little Honda Accord. I go inside. I get the keys. I was like, come here, come here. And I said, see this car right here? He goes, yeah. I said, it's yours. The gratefulness that this man began to exhibit. A grown man. I mean, this man is a godly man. This little car was extra for me. I didn't need it. Yeah, I put a lot of hours of work and my own money into it. But I gave him this little car. And I'm telling you, the tears that started coming down his cheeks. He got in it. And he started it. He was like, whoa. I was like, now look, bro, I've never taken it over 60 miles an hour. I don't know <laughs> what it's going to do, all right? But it's yours. You can sell it. You can drive it. I don't care. But the Lord would have you have it. Again, staff member at a Bible school who's also finishing up some degree work. The next day, I come into my office. He's taken what little bit of money he's got. He's went to Walmart. He's bought some little candies and got a little card. And he put it on my desk. The gratefulness by which he gave back to me, it wasn't much. It wasn't nearly what I gave him. But the gratefulness by which he responded and the, what little he could give back, which was a lot for him, what he gave back to me, his little to me was greater than the car I gave him. When you and I give back to our God, you could never outgive your God. 
ever. But when he sees you take your little card and he sees your little candies on his desk when he gets up the next morning, he's going to be like, that's my girl right there. That's my people right there. When he sees him on his face, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Jesus looks down and goes, look at this. Look at this, you bunch of prejudiced ones. Look at this. This is what it looks like to have faith. The gratefulness by which he gave back. Out of his own brokenness, he did not hesitate to run back and give back to God himself what God had given to him. This brings me to the fourth and final piece. Write this down. And this is uh, the dynamics of grateful faith. And that is, number four, it makes you well. Gratefulness, grateful faith makes you well. You know all that stress you got? Start being grateful. You know all that turmoil in your family? Start being grateful. You know all that fear and worry you got? Start being grateful. Start looking around and say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this speed up car that starts every day. Thank you that I have it. I thank you for the small group that I got. I know some of them drive me insane and I want to stab them all, but Lord, thank you. <laughs> that was a little brutal, sorry. But Lord, I just want to thank you that someone likes me. Someone returns my phone calls. Another Christian actually cares that I exist. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. When you and I show gratefulness, it does something inside of us. And go back to the main passage in verse 19. Jesus tells him, he says, rise and go. And what does it say? We'll put it on the screen for you. Your faith has what? Made you. I thought he was already healed. Do you know what this word well is? Sozo in the Greek. It's not talking about your outside. Not talking about your physical. It's talking about the inside. Healed your soul. You know, there's a lot of people sitting in this room right now. They're smiling. They're doing their best to love God. But on the inside, they're tore up. Jesus didn't just heal this man's physical ailments. He fixed his insides. That competition thing, that insecurity thing, that hatred thing, that depression thing. As he's worshiping him, as he's giving back, as he is sitting there before the Lord of God Almighty, and he is worshiping and giving back, Jesus said, you're made well now. Go, because now you're well. I want you to understand something. The reason why I teach you to worship and praise, the reason why we put the best worship leaders we can get in front of you to lead you in because when you and I go, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Daddy. It wasn't the best day, but it's your day. And you're worthy of my praise. And I throw up my hands and I start singing to him. When I'm driving down my, my, my car on the way to work, I just throw up my hands and say, thank you, Jesus. I just want to thank you for how good you've been to me. That begins to make you well. There's a healing that happens inside of us. As we show gratefulness back to the one who saved our soul. I'm telling you something. We suffer in the United States, in Christendom especially, being spoiled brats. He's been so good to us. But I think about it all the time. In fact, I had a friend, and sorry for this, but it's, it's, it's mean, but I thought it was hilarious. There was one of these TV preachers that had this big, big, Jamie's like, careful. Um, <laughs> There was this, this big, TV, big TV minister, and he was talking about how their church had just raised uh, $4 million to put two $2 million chandeliers in the foyer and how they were blessed. And so one of my pastor friends who's been a missionary, he said, he got mad. He goes, he goes yeah, that little girl who's been entrapped in sex trafficking out in Asia, every night after she is forced 
to give her body away. And then they put her in a cage. Every night when she calls out to the God out there somewhere, she says, oh God, would you please help that church in America get some new chandeliers? And as he says that, I'm like, oh, I whoa. We've lost our gratefulness. God's been good to you. He's been good to me. We don't need all the bells and whistles to recognize how good he's been. You're alive. Some of you shouldn't be alive. I want you to understand, we shouldn't have to have a national holiday and eat a bunch of turkey and watch a bunch of football games just for the few hours we have left before we can get all the special deals on all the stuff we want to have. That shouldn't be the only trigger to wake up every day and say, thank you, Jesus. You've been so good. That gratefulness will make you well. It's a critical component, critical ingredient to your faith. And maybe you've not been so good at that particular ingredient. Maybe you've got a good little pie without any whipped cream on it. Well, my hope, my prayer, what we've been fasting for you this week is that you and I would have a revelation that, wait a minute, I have lost the gratefulness in my daily walk, in my daily faith. And Lord, I want you to fix that. And I would challenge you this week. I would challenge you this week as you drive to work, maybe just one hand instead of two hands, but throw your hand up before the Lord as you're driving. Say, Lord, I want to thank you for how good you've been to me. I want you to learn how to give back and say, Lord, I bless you. And as you begin to start showing a grateful faith, I promise you those things that are causing you to be depressed, those things that are nagging at you in the middle of the night, causing you not to be able to sleep, that's causing worry, those that... He said to him, go, because your faith, your grateful faith, has made you well. How many of you want to be well before the Lord today? I don't know about you, but I sure do. Would you stand with me all across the room quickly?